0: How do we measure sound perception, and what does it mean for a soundscape to be restorative? Hello, and welcome to the Rest Is Just Noise, a podcast all about the science, beauty, and noise of our cities. Today, we're joined by Dr. Sarah Payne, an associate professor at Harriet Watt University in Edinburgh. We'll be talking about her DJ career, her experience with skateboarders, and her paper, "The Production of a Perceived Restorativeness Soundscape Scale," as well as how to create just the best acronyms. rest is just noise. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Hello. Hello. Um, and so, Sarah, you know, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go through probably quite a few different things. We're going to focus on uh, perceived restorativeness, all these different bits of, of your work. But I want to start um, sort of with the question that we uh, will ask a lot of people or all of our guests, which is that everyone seems to take a different path to get into sound research of one form or another. Uh, so what was yours? How did you end up focusing on soundscapes?
1: Um, yeah, uh, well, I've always liked sounds. I've, um... <laughs> that sounds silly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: so, sound. so was, how did, how did you
0: start in? Like, what field did you start in?
1: So, originally my background is in psychology. Mm-hmm. And um, I was always into psychology, even um, as a A-level student. So before, before even starting those, so 15, 16 year old, I was probably more on the like self-help kind of like looking at psychology stuff and then, then reading really what psychology was about and stuff and got into it that way. Mm-hmm. And that was always my um, educational career up until um, the point that I started a PhD. So I actually applied for a, a job as a research assistant, um, but they didn't offer me the job. They offered me um, a PhD instead, and I had this like a chat around it. And it was so it was my supervisor actually who brought up sound and was really interested in <clears throat> the the sound of a place. And I it totally <laughs> kind of rang bells with me because I knew that every time I went to visit a new city. I would always not have my headphones in because I was, I loved music, but when I went to a new place, I wouldn't have my headphones in because I wanted to experience it properly. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, yeah, this is, you know, this is something I can connect with. Like I appreciate that cities sound different and, you know, you want to get a feel for the place. So that was really the the kind of starting point in terms of then a, a, looking at PhD on sound, but I'd been, yeah so music i got you know (laughs) i was saying i've got like now i don't know what now album it is what number but you know i've got smash it's 89 album so and and all my tape collections from recording off the radio which oh
2: yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: music was certainly um my thing and even um DJing and pr- promoting the club nights at university. Hmm. So to then actually combine that like kind of second love of like music um, into a PhD and into my research was really exciting for me.
0: And what was your, what was your PhD research focused on? What was that job actually doing?
1: So it, it was green spaces was like the main target and, um, and thinking around um, yeah, the, it ended up being about restoration. Originally it was supposed to be around place attachment, and that's how it was proposed to me. So that's an idea that people feel attached to um, a place. Um, So maybe the longer you live there or your home, you know, it feels like a part of you. Mm -hmm. Um, But the more theories I was reading, I was starting to realize that actually this idea of restoration kind of would ring true with soundscapes um and be more relevant so i ended up exploring um attention restoration theory and how um that can be influenced by uh, soundscapes so you Could you could you give
0: just a bit way. of like background on attention restoration theory because oh. i like i've heard of it before kind of gone into it a little bit but i don't actually know like the the core of it what it's actually focused on is it opposed
2: to djing or is it uh, <laughs> related to djing No, but I mean, do you think they decided the name just because the acronym was ART or just (laughs) was there any other rationale for deciding about this name?
1: I know it's quite nice and succinct. You can go to ART and then actually a colleague of mine, um, there's kind of four components it's made up of fascination, being away, compatibility and extent. And um, so she was like, well, it's the acronym of FACE. And so I've always stuck with that as well. So you've got art and FACE. <laughs>
0: face <laughs> art.
2: <laughs> yeah, it looks like, I mean, like with EU projects, if you don't have a nice and catchy acronym, you're not going to make it through. So that's that's the thing. But yeah, I get
1: most, most definitely, yes. Um, yeah, so Attention Restoration Theory um, was created by um, two a couple in America called the Kaplins, Rachel and Stephen Kaplins. And they were big into their nature. Um, and it, most of their work came out of kind of wilderness studies, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people really going to remote locations and examining and exploring nature. And uh, so the idea is that by being in natural environments, you get to relax and recover um, and potentially a lot more than you would in urban environments. But if you've been, so the attention part is that, you know, you've been working on a task for a long time, you become really fatigued, you know, you become bored and drained, trying to focus on this one aspect and uh, your brain cells start to fatigue because the same like cells are firing all the time. And so the idea is that you get to have um, a break, maybe either physically by going to a different place such as a natural environment or mentally by doing something different mm-hmm. and then that helps you restore so that's why it's attention right, okay. restoration theory
0: is that specific to to the environment that you're going to or is it just a change of environment you know if you've if you're it you said it's partly because like these same cells are firing all the time so if you just went to a different environment does that have the same effect or does it have to be going to a specific type of different environment
1: it, could be a different environment, but then the different environment could make it better or worse. So this is where the idea that um, the environment to be restorative um, it should consist of four components, fascination, being array, compatibility and extent. Mm-hmm. And um, the more that they have, the more that they contain these items, then the more likely it will be a restorative environment. And the key one is considered to be the fascination because that's supposed to invoke involuntary attention. Mm -hmm. So the opposite to what you have been doing. So you've been directing your attention on a task, but now you're getting to be in a place or see or hear things that are like kind of naturally capturing your attention. Mm -hmm. And so it's just withdrawing you in um, without you really having to focus on it. So those same brain cells get to relax a bit and, and other ones are being activated.
0: And when the, when the Kaplan's were first um, creating this, were they thinking in terms of sound or was this in terms of like visual environments?
1: Um, largely visual. Mm. Uh, so sound didn't really come into it at all. I, they, they might touch upon it in places in their books, but for them it was...
2: Shame on them. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: It was more experience, I would say, overall. So yeah. they probably didn't actually break it down into visual or sound or smell. Um, it was the experience of being there, to be fair to them. It's then just that all the kind of experimental studies that came afterwards have largely then, at least in labs, have largely then been visual-based. But the you know the start of the theory and the start of their work, as I said, was grounded out of... Um, you know, actually go into places and visit in nature, so it would have been more holistic and incorporated everything.
0: Because that's that's the thing I've thought about a lot for like attention, is that sound, sound and hearing is one of these things that is less of a directed attention a lot of the time. It it's harder to shut off, and so you get more of that sort of things which pull your attention without you consciously moving towards that. It's the the saliency of the sound is more likely to just draw you towards it without you being focused towards it which seems to fit in really well with that idea of um of yeah whether you're going from focused attention environment to uh to like unconscious attention Mm. i don't know if that's the the right um (laughs) yeah and i
1: guess that's it it was those initial thoughts as well that kind of led me to think that actually that was a better theory Mm -hmm. to to explore soundscapes with than Mm. placed attachment because i thought it might be harder to feel like people were attached to certain sounds um than actually them kind of yeah, being influenced perhaps unwilling or unknowingly. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can be attached to maybe some church bells, or actually, when I used to, um, I lived in Canada. I've been on and off, um, but one time I had a whole like a snowboard season, and there was a a train. And you could hear that like maybe in the middle of the night at four o'clock and ringing, but the more exciting one was when you'd hear these big blasts in the morning. And I guess you could say I was attached to those because that was really great because that meant there'd been lots and lots of snow. Mm. And so they had to do the dynamo <laughs> um, to like set it off to make sure then the slopes were safe to to go on. So hearing those sounds were like really positive for me. Um yeah, and so, mm. the, you know, like to, the, I really recollect and recall those sounds with fond memories. So I think you could say I was probably attached to those sounds. So you can be attached to sounds, but I thought in the broader sense of things, the restoration theory kind of fitted to more everyday scenarios and had more longevity in terms of research.
0: Yeah, which sort of brings us into our main topic, which was you had this attention restoration theory from the Kaplan's and then you took that on to create the, this perceived restorativeness soundscape scale. Is that yeah. is that like the correct progression they, transition? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I started off first. I kind of you know I had to convince my supervisor that at, at art attention restoration theory was the way forward instead of attachment because he mm-hmm. was like the big place attachment person. And um, so mm-hmm. I did some initial categorization studies, and and I wasn't finding anything with attachment theory, but I was getting stuff out of attention restoration theory of of people who'd had more restorative experiences in parks, categorizing the sounds that they'd heard in different ways. So that kind of gave me the impetus to, to keep going with it. And so then that's when I then wanted to explore, okay, well, what, which, which soundscapes are more restorative than mm-hmm. others then? And that's how then I came about um, adapting the scales that already existed. Um, so there's the perceived restoration, No, the perceived restorativeness scale (laughs) and then there's the restorative component scale and a few others. Um, But I largely took those two and adapted them to make them soundscape specific.
0: Okay. So, yeah, so as you were doing that adaptation, because developing a scale for soundscape or really for anything perception-based is pretty difficult, right? So while you were doing that, what were sort of the main challenges of drawing all of those together and how did you go about, like testing it and and trying to develop a coherent sort of scale that captured whatever you were trying to look for
2: he doesn't want to say but he's looking for validation so <laughs>
0: yeah, that, that's, what well, he's that's after. a bad word at this point <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah va- validation and feasibility and uh, reliability yes um kind of key aspects of scale building and um and i still probably haven't managed to assess or prove all of those for Mm. um, my scale but difficult and easy um easy in some aspects of producing this scale because I was basing it on other existing scales so I had something to go with already
0: well I suppose one thing we should say is what what do we mean by a scale right what what does that mean and how do these different scales differ in what they're actually trying to measure and how they're going about it
1: um, yeah good, good point good question Because <laughs> certainly a reviewer the first time actually for um, this key paper um pulled not pulled me up on it but they questioned why it should be called a scale because mm-hmm. um for them that would heard like a, a scale might be one one item that you you get asked and then your response rating is on a scale of say one to five yeah But in um, psychological terms as well, though, a scale is a collection of items or a collection of statements that all together um, are trying to measure this same one concept. Mm -hmm. So in this case, it's trying to measure um, the perceived restorativeness of soundscapes.
0: So it's maybe a bunch of different responses that are all trying to get at different dimensions of the same question?
1: Um. Yes, in this case, they are trying to get a different dimensions because you've got four different dimensions. Hopefully Mm the fascination being like compatibility and extent, and some scales might just be really trying to assess one component. Um, yeah, but (laughs) yeah, when you've got these different dimensions, this is when then statistically you end up doing all these different um, analysis on it to try and, um, check whether each of those. Conceptual aspects, those dimensions are um, being measured and assessed.
2: Okay. Um, can I ask you something? Because one of the assumptions of, of the work you, you you did was that, uh, so you assume um, natural environments to be more restorative than urban environments. And actually, yeah, your findings confirm that. So my question was, do you think there there could be any urban soundscapes proper urban soundscapes that have some potential for restoration regardless of natural
1: sounds yes for sure Uh, it's it's kind of a classic not mistake but like kind of avenue that a lot of this research has gone down not just in the soundscape world but in the in general the restoration research there has it's often pitched as this dichotomy between nature and urban um, but it's not at all, it's totally on a continuum um, and some urban environments will be much more restorative than some natural environments, which might actually mm-hmm. be more scary and more freaky and more stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, for sure, there's there's urban soundscapes that are going to um, be more restorative. If you think about, actually, yes, yeah, so when I went on to um, kind of follow up on this work, Uh, again back in canada (laughs) and it's like the depths of winter uh so standing in urban parks to ask people questions wasn't really the thing that was going to happen so i needed to find another environment that i thought could produce a restorative soundscape and so i went for cafes so totally different much more Mm -hmm. kind of an urban setting it's indoors as well rather than outdoors um, but for me, it had that, that kind of social element as well that made me feel like, well, maybe that's what's going to help create a restorative experience. Um, and for many, the sound of coffee machines might be restorative. For me, they're really annoying when I'm in a place because they're so loud and high-pitched and I need to be sorted out. <laughs> yeah. Do
0: those do those sorts of spaces, because you've got these four components of your restorativeness scale um, that make up the, the, the face um, dimensions, right? Do those, um, values have different trends, whether it's like an urban space or a, or a natural space or a cafe versus a street corner or something like that. Do they, do they have patterns across those four dimensions?
1: It's not been looked at too much. Only a few have started to look at that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this is where I think, yeah, I've kind of critiqued this again and I still think there's more development to be done with it. Um, there's a few researchers that strongly kind of just stick to the fascination one as being the main important key one mm-hmm. and really only kind of assess how that varies across the different environments. Um, being away is probably the second most um, studied aspect as well, dimension. So that's I, that's like you're in another environment to what you were before where you you were becoming fatigued yeah. or even just you, you're staring out of the window. So you're mentally being somewhere else but for me extent and so extent is often forgotten about particularly in the visual studies but for me extent has the most potential within the soundscape world because as you were talking about earlier you know you kind of can't switch off from it it's you know it, it can be around the corner and you're still going to hear it mm-hmm. so it offers that potential to make you feel like you're in a bigger place or a smaller place based on how it sounds. Um, so I think that's a key dimension that is some, some people drop it off and don't even measure it in their visual studies. But for me, I think it's really important to include in the sound studies. So,
0: why, why does it get dropped off so much in the visual studies? Cause that's the one that <laughs> kind of seems easier to, to think about is like extent. Oh, it's like the openness of the, the space that you're going into. Is that the, how we should be thinking about it? Or is there sort of a better way? That it's actually addressed yeah.
1: so extent can be broken up into two other parts so you've got scope um uh, which i think is yeah it uh it could keep going this place could keep going mm-hmm. and then you've got coherence which is kind of all the sound every or everything kind of hangs together mm-hmm. i think conceptually they're a bit harder and particularly in terms of the items that have been used to measure them and i think maybe this is another reason why it's kind of dropped off because the words are really clunky and particularly like I found when I was asking people questions in the park and they're like uh what do you mean by that Mm -hmm. whereas generally in the past these scales the more holistic experience and visual focused ones have been given to students and students will quite happily go through and just tick boxes and you know if if it's part of their course they're not (laughs) dissing students but you know you, you get into the habit. You know that you're supposed to tick various things, and you kind of have a understanding with some of these phrases. But for the general public, it's like, hang on, what the heck are you saying there? This doesn't, this doesn't sound right. Yeah. So, that's um, right. yeah. Um, so you, that's,
0: <laughs> sorry. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: From from what you're saying, it looks like it's very well connected with the concept of context. So the the extent one. So I think that's why as you were saying like it could be very very relevant for, for soundscape studies because we know yeah, like context it's a very key like a pillar of the whole soundscape theory so are 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 the experiences matching what we expect from this place and things like this
1: Um yeah so in part yeah because you've got coherence and whether this um whether the aspects kind of belong to the place so whether they fit that context Um, but then the other one the other major dimension is compatibility and so compatibility would really relate to context as well um, because you want to be able to do a certain activity within a certain place
2: yeah the function yes
1: be your contextual aspect as well Um, but I mean you know like you say just even some of those things it's it, it really does fit samscape really quite well, mm-hmm. the restoration theory because some of the like that overlaps in some of the things that they're trying to get at and work really well um but as I said like the the compatibility and extent have kind of been dropped off. I think compatibility is often assumed um but the major issue you see I have with this the original scales and what I've tried to do, but even I've failed and I still want to do you know is. So altogether, they can form one overall rating of perceived restorativeness. Yeah. But there's an, um, you could also have a measure just a fascination of being incompatibility, compatibility, you know, for extent. But there's a different number of items measuring each of those components. So for example, there's six items for fascination, but maybe only two for extent. Mm-hmm. So there's an imbalance in how it's already being measured and weighted to then create that overall scale uh so
0: so each of the each of the like the two portions in extent get individually weighted more in the final thing in fa- no, is they're that not. How that's the thing they're so often la- they're just
1: averaged averaged out yeah. so it's the whole thing just gets added up in a kind of averaged it's not they're, they're not weighted so that each of those four dimensions are, are then yeah contributing towards the mm-hmm and the final scale mark equally Uh, you can report each of those components separately because then you'll get a better understanding and you'll be able to map across different environments but as i said there's only a few studies that have really done that and shown those that the minor details compared to that so
0: and people like having that that single number at the end to (laughs) assign to a space and be like yeah that one's better than that one no just give me the number give me the number
1: (laughs) 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 Yes. Or you see, they come to the point where they're like, well, you know, I want to include this questionnaire, this, this scale within my questionnaire, but I'm also interested in so many other things. I can't actually include 14 items, 19 items, however many it might be. So then they're just like, oh, well, I'll just do fascination and being away because then that's only 10 items. So it's about reducing the number as well, which is why some of them get dropped off in other studies.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So going back a little bit to um, how this all sort of came from a visual space and we're applying it to this sound space. Um, in your experimental design where you were sort of initially investigating this scale, you, did, um, you had audiovisual scenarios. Yeah. Um, so how important do you think that sort of audiovisual interaction is uh, to the experience of restorativeness?
1: Um, yeah, I, I think it's really important. Uh, again, it's that contextual yeah. aspect because if you play certain sounds um, but provide different visuals, then um, you can kind of trick the mind into thinking they're one thing rather than another. Uh, so having that um, context is really important. And also there's studies about the congruence and incongruence. So you'll get different ratings. If and if a sound is... Different to what you would expect it to be in a certain place. It doesn't match what you expect it to be. Uh, So for me, it was really important to still have that visual element there. It does make it trickier in the sense that we are largely dominantly visual orientated people. Mm -hmm. So it then starts to get to question, okay, well, people are filling out this, this questionnaire, which includes a scale all around soundscapes are they really answering it based on the soundscapes or are they being too influenced by the visuals, you know, like,
0: yeah. and you can tell people all you used want to
1: talking about sound. So, you can
0: tell people all you want, Oh, just focus on the sound that you hear, but yeah. we don't, we, we no. can't separate it that much. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it was the best balance. I could feel like it was still important to have that there. Um, but the scale at least in terms of the developing and testing of the scale because in the future then if you've got a validated scale and um, that soundscape specific you can then go on and do it just on the soundscapes without some of the visual elements to mm-hmm. really kind of boil down and see okay well would this soundscape work best or would another soundscape work best and then apply the visuals back on again uh, and see how things change
0: yeah is just Just noise um so then i think that goes into uh another project that you uh worked on which is this uh de-stress project right which is like this great
1: acronym that i worked
0: on yeah oh is that it? i didn't even is that an acronym you got the funding indeed you got the
1: funding
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh it's all right what's the acronym so
1: it's designing and engineering soundscapes to enable restorative environments for sustainable societies
0: Look at oh. that! It's
2: perfect. Yeah, and it's you only, perfect. Like you had
0: one skipped out letter. Oh, that is that's one of the best. Oh, wow! How all right? How <laughs> how long did you work on the acronym? <laughs> yeah,
1: it did take. I had this kind of project brewing in the back of my mind for a year or two, and I was thinking about fellowships and everything. And it it started off as dress, to be honest.
0: Designing restorative uh, I
1: mean, dress D R E S S. I've even got acronym like a little doodle of like a dress because I was thinking, you know, <laughs> Cause you gotta have a logo and everything? And I was like, how does this really work though? Mm. So and
2: then nice. one
1: day it came to me, I was like, wow, you know, like there's stress in there, and then I'm like, de stress, and so it just fits perfectly with this idea of restoring.
0: Yeah, yeah. there you go.
2: <laughs> reviewers read no further you have the acronym that's
0: it <laughs> <laughs> the, automatic validity it's just done, <laughs>
2: it's done, done. So give
0: it's her fun. the money
2: give her the money <laughs>
0: <laughs> now that we've got the perfect acronym <laughs> so what what is the de-stress project actually doing like what's what did you what did you create for it
1: so it was trying to bring together um cognition aspects so restoration and the built environment and there was a third aspect it might have been health i'm trying to think but um so kind of addressing some of the gaps the research gaps of course Mm -hmm. Uh, but largely it's thinking around how changes in the built environment can affect the soundscape and they may be physical infrastructure changes so um the surface of the or the facades on buildings so the surface of the walls on external buildings whether they're glass or grass (laughs) Mm, Um, or brick Uh, and that's going to affect the amount of reverberation that you're going to get within a place so it's going to affect how it sounds Mm -hmm. it might only be slightly but it has an impact on the sound and lots of architects aren't necessarily going to think about that and planners aren't necessarily going to think about that so projects might get uh, signed off and you get these big physical changes in the environment. And then you're changing how a space um, that might be very well used in front of it um, changes in terms of its soundscape. And so you might have a plaza that was once a really nice area to go to, to sit in and to relax. And then suddenly you're surrounded by all these glass buildings mm. and it just becomes a lot more echoey and, and not so nice and pleasant to sit in. So I wanted the ability to try and get planners and architects to think around those things more but and 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 to raise awareness for the public to think about it but also measure what those impacts are on people so in terms of their health and well being um, so did it help them relax more did it help them or did it stress them more um,
0: and so to test that to test all of these like little changes that you can make in design it's it's um, a computer simulator right of like simulating how all these design changes affect the sound environment and then being able to to play that to people and ask them like how it how it impacted their perception of the space is that right yeah Yeah. yes
1: exactly that yeah so i mean generally i mean this thing kind of exists already if you're talking about your big engineer and architectural firms and they're big multimillionaire clients yeah. they will show them how the place uh, will sound or especially internally that's show them how it might sound when it's finished mm-hmm. but for the more everyday projects that that that's not going to be known so i wanted to make it a 3d available and accessible tool online so that everyone could kind of have access to this um, ability to find out what changes would happen so there's. Um, two scenarios, you've got an urban park and you've got an urban plaza. And then you can change um, what material is on the buildings, what material is on the floor, whether it's grass or um, kind of concrete. But you can also change the social infrastructure, because as I talked around before, the social element, I think is also important in terms of the soundscapes that are created. So you can have cafes there, um, you can have more people, less people, um, and see again, what impact that is going to have on the space and the soundscape, and then essentially for me to use it as a research tool as well to find out well what are the, the health implications as well of those changes. Oh. Tin,
2: I got the feeling that Sarah was criticizing in between the lines like architects and planners. Don't you have anything to <laughs> comment on that? I, I got that feeling. Like uh, yeah, like they don't understand this. Mm. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, well, so you recipe. work a lot yeah. with architects, yeah, or think, planners. And,
1: well, to be to be honest, my PhD is actually in architecture. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Well, that's why. That's why she's one of us. She's one of us. <laughs> no, I mean th- that that explains it, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be able to 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 criticize, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> That's
1: true. I've got justification. I can. Yeah. Otherwise, impact. you
2: would think, what a nice bunch of nice bunch of
0: people, right? Not. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know i I seem to only work with architects now mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah
1: um, so they, they, were, they were, some of them you know some of them are aware um but it's not it's not necessarily their main point, and that's why you've got acousticians and uh, and architectural engineers who focus on acoustics, yeah.
0: yeah,
2: okay, so since you criticize architects, I want to return the favor and drag you into a politically incorrect argument, so <laughs> As case studies for distress you had Brighton, Sheffield and Edinburgh, right? So my question is now, which is the most stressful city? At least from Soundscape point of view.
1: Um, that's inconclusive still.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, the politicians answer. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um. So both Brighton and Edinburgh we did uh urban parks mm-hmm. or green spaces shall i say one was an urban park uh, one was it was next to a churchyard it's got a special name in scottish i can't think of right now like a close um yeah whereas the one in sheffield was uh an urban square and it used to actually have um, a lot of complaints because you used to have a lot of skateboarders there and actually so thinking about it i got into sound even before my phd um oh yeah of course, yeah <laughs> because so the skateboarders used to use this site because it was just really a flat flat um, piece of concrete and um but you know some people didn't look kindly upon that didn't like the skateboarders being there thought they were nuisance thought they might do dangerous things and stuff they got moved off um, and actually got a purpose-built skate park.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was my master's project, was actually exploring the differences between um, what they gained from the skate park compared to using the, the streets, the city streets and the kind of architectural forms that they found by themselves as well. Uh, so, And sound comes into that quite a lot, you know, like if you you watch all the skateboard videos they've got you you can hear you know when a perfect trick has been done based on <laughs> the sound as well. No
0: yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I hadn't even considered that part of it. Yeah. That's a uh huh
1: <laughs> so even in the you know the videos they've got the music going on but you can still always hear the rolling yeah. of the wheels. Um mm. but again I and I've tried to discuss this with some of the skateboarders but they're you know say oh no it's fine you know you've got people who are deaf who still like skateboarding you know, it's not you know it's not anything but again i think it for many it'll be one of those subliminal things that it's mm-hmm. it's still a value and importance um but yeah so i got sidetracked um so, <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: that's <laughs> the purpose of the podcast Yeah, that's,
0: <laughs> sidetracks are the best part <laughs> yeah it's where the most interesting things come out
1: <laughs> but i would not like to say actually yes because i had to do um I did some talks with Radio Sheffield when I was promoting Project De-Stress and they got me on once um, for something and then the second time was they were going through the alphabet and they got to queue for quiet. And so they got back in touch again to see how the project had gone and wanted to know whether therefore the, the space um, Tudor Square in Sheffield was a quiet no. place or or not, um, but I would, as I said, I would never like to dish Sheffield because I I lived there for many a years. It's my second home, really. Um, so it's a vibrant place, and yes. uh, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So I suppose moving on to kind of our final questions or our final little points is you know we've talked about a few different things and and paths that we took to get restorativeness into soundscapes and and how we can simulate it and measure it so what do you kind of hope um that h- how do you hope that this work is made use of you know how can how can your um work be put into practice uh to actually have an impact on people
1: it's it's a question that i've struggled with quite a lot in my early days especially um you know like either family like your gran and and even friends were just like you know when are you getting a proper job you know just being in the academia <laughs> like, well, uni, oh, they no. don't even know that you've got a job um mm. and 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 then they'd ask what the research is and you're like oh, i'm you know finding out what impact sound has on people in green spaces and they kind of like, okay, that sounds worthwhile, kind of not. but so i've I've always struggled with, yeah, what is the value of my research, you know what's the benefit? but um, I, I've now got over that. you know there is so much going on um with World Health Organization and the European Environment Agency who are really emphasizing the importance of sound within the environments. Um, we've now got targets of having to have uh, quiet areas within our cities as well because it's been recognized both the negative impact that sound has but also the potential positive impact that sound can have on people's health Uh, and so and it's even you know noise pollution is the second biggest environmental problem um, or pollution problem um, second to air, air quality mm-hmm. and so it is it's a major issue and we do need to think more about how we've designed and created our environments to, to how they sound so then the impact that that's going to be having on people and even like through the pandemic and with covid i think lots more people have become much more aware then so when we've had lockdown and the whole place is you know there's a lot less traffic on the road and you can hear the birds and you can hear things so many more people again have become aware of the sound of their environment. So, it it does have a big impact on people, and um, and it's nice to see it kind of getting its uh, attention at long last and the relevance of it being noticed.
0: Oh, what a what a wonderfully hopeful message for us to end on. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. I I love the thought that we're paying more attention to this sort of aspect that that has tended to be ignored before. Um, so. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank
2: you so much, Sarah.
0: Um, and just before okay. we we let you go, um, is there any anything that you want to plug or promote anywhere that people can find you if they're interested in your work or in your research?
1: Um, so uh, my project destress website <laughs> can be found at destress.hw.ac.uk. That's Harry what, but more mm-hmm. simply, you can find me on Twitter for that project at destress We mm-hmm. Um yeah wonderful. I've also got one called At think Snowflakes as well because again, I just love snow, so um... Yay.
0: is that just <laughs> photos of big snowflakes because that sounds wonderful <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have my the little profile picture is actually of a very special type of snowflake um, on, a, on a lake that was from a, a project research project by some team in Redding actually i've stolen one of their images i've got to say Mm. but but i thought originally at the idea when i was in canada i thought what at think snowflakes because every um snowflake is unique and so i thought well every twitter thing that i write will be unique so that's where it came from but unfortunately the word snowflake has now got some other bad connotations so i keep being told i need to change (laughs) it
0: We, do, we don't we don't we don't care about politically correct we told you nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well i'm definitely gonna go and check out think snowflake Um, so thank you very much for coming. Thank on. Thank you very much. Thank You're you. are
1: welcome. It's
0: been really lovely chatting with you guys. Thank you, same yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The rest is just noise.
2: Noise. Noise. Noise is just noise. Just
0: noise.
2: You can find episodes of the rest is just noise on all of your usual podcast apps
0: and on our website at justnoisepods.com We're also on Twitter as at justnoisepod. The rest is just noise is supported by the UK Acoustics Network.